1: At plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness.
0: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi there, my name is Jenny Rooney, Chief Experience Officer and host of Adweek's newest podcast, Marketing Vanguard. We're so excited to bring you the next evolution of CMO Moves by bringing you insightful content from our marketing community. Together, we'll dive into discussions with CMOs and other C-suite executives who are tasked daily with making decisions that in incremental or monumental ways move the needle for their brands, their companies, and the customers they serve. In each episode, we'll focus on one key idea or decision, why they made it, what it caused, whether it worked the ripples it set forth, and how it has defined the person as a business leader. We also address missteps, poor choices, and gambles, as mistakes, of course, often yield the greatest knowledge. In addition, we'll ask each guest to share the names of people they rely on daily, as well as a recommendation for whom we should interview next. Hi, Anne. How are you doing? Anne Hans, CEO of Super League Gaming. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, It's a thrill to see you again. I know that um, we've gotten to know each other probably over the last couple of years, and uh, it's just been a thrill for me to get to know you and sort of, you know, learn about your story because you have a really incredible story to share. So um, Marketing Vanguard is, um, we're going to get into a lot on this podcast A lot about the decisions you make is, you know, have made as a marketing leader that are driving business forward. Um, And I think you have a pretty interesting backstory to share first around how you have led marketing for organizations, even as now you're a CEO. So we're going to talk about that in a sec, but why don't you share for our listeners a little bit about you and what's led you to this point?
1: Well, as you know, I always start out with the fact that I grew up in Indiana. I always (laughs) have to give a good Hoosier plug, but... um, but um, yeah, I, I spent the first 18 years or so of my career um, kind of doing what was expected, you know, go get a job with a big company and become a generalist and work your way up the ladder. And I was very fortunate to have a lot of success at different companies like McDonald's and and namely BP, where I was an executive towards the end and running, you know, multiple billion-dollar global P&Ls, and then my last job there, I got the taste of running all the brands and marketing globally, which was really um, exciting to me and unlocked a lot of of things about me. And then I kind of took a little bit of a wild um, jump. I went and ran first a startup that was focused around um, sustainability and renewables, and then I somehow ended up running a company that um, has its roots in gaming. Um, So I I took a little wild jump from energy to entertainment. Amazing. Amazing. So
0: one of the things that I ask in in this podcast of people is, you know, I feel like so much of our of who we are is represented in social profiles these days. Mm -hmm. Tell me something about you that nobody would know from looking at your LinkedIn profile.
1: Yes. And I'm probably the worst at this. Um, (laughs) Some of my dearest friends, I remember them scolding me five, seven years ago about like, why aren't you on Instagram more? And, and it gave me a lot of guilt that I wasn't staying current and relevant. And now five years later, I'm just thrilled (laughs) that I'm a bit of a mystery. But with that, I'd say, yeah, I mean, probably if you look at my LinkedIn profile, what you won't see is anything about really me, my work style. Um, It's a, it's a list of jobs and, and, Shirley posts that give a little color of things I'm proud of or what motivates me. Um, but I think my work style is probably the thing that, you know, makes me feel the most differentiated and valued. Um, I'm very collaborative. I am a problem solver. If you throw a problem at me, I want to figure it out and figure mm-hmm. it out fast. Um, mm-hmm. I like to encourage people. I enjoy and I get energy off of helping people and I have a very open communication style. So I like to run flat orgs. Um, I want to know that communications are flowing easily up and down the org. And probably my biggest pet peeve, it's definitely the way, I don't, I don't get, I've never been like a kick the trash can kind of boss. You know, I don't yell to get my point across. Yeah. But my biggest pet peeve, and it will make it challenging for us to work together, is seeing somebody speak to a colleague um, disrespectfully, and mm. especially if they are more junior. Mm. Um, so I think I've always felt a little bit like an underdog in my real life and at different times in my life. And I think, um, it's really important to me that people feel respected at all levels of the org.
0: So talk a little bit about, you know, your you mentioned needing to, you know, running a flat organization and feeling like there's equity right across mm-hmm. the organization is what I'm hearing. But, but, Critical to that is that collaboration piece, right? And I'm hearing Mm -hmm. that in what you're saying around you need people to be collaborative and you need to collaborate with people in order for Mm -hmm. you to be your best leader. I, you know, I feel passionately, too, that nothing in this industry happens in silos and we need to, you know, it's all about the connections and collaboration. Who would you say are your best um, Mm go-to collaborators in your organization, the people that you just rely on because, you know... They have your back, but they also are great sounding boards for your ideas and how you think yeah, about I think things. I, would,
1: I think I would describe it a little bit as like a type of person. So the first thing that I, I started to learn about myself in my 30s was that the type of, of people um, that I hire for better or for worse, and in some cases for worse, I was hiring a lot of people in my image. That's not a good thing. Mm. Um and, and I was starting to understand a little bit more, who are my difficult people at work? Like, why is it always harder when I'm talking to Bob, you know, or Julie? <laughs> and trying to understand, like, how I could think differently about um, knowing them better and understanding them better and how they work, how I could approach things differently for, for better outcomes. I think the best collaborators for me are going to probably first be somebody that I have already, I've gotten a chance to connect with them more on a human level. Mm-hmm. And the reason that'll matter is if we're really going to collaborate, I want to be able to talk about, you know, my hopes and our vision, but I also want to be able to talk about what, what I, what's worrying me. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's something about a level of trust that allows me to just be a little bit more creative, um, out of the box, more forthcoming. Um, and then the other thing I have learned is, you know, I I I need people around me who are more process or data centric or different than my style. I'll always solve a problem or start um, um, any ideation with conversation mm-hmm. rather yeah. than, than the data. But I do um, struggle if you're not an optimist or at least <laughs> that you're a positive person. So... Um, you know, if, if if somebody is always kind of explaining why things can't be done instead of being more solution focused, um, you know, that, that'll be more challenging for me to collaborate. So you're a rare, you know, part of a, although
0: I would say um, increasingly less rare cohort of CEO who came up through the CMO role. And I really want to talk about that a little bit because you're talking a lot about leadership style and about collaboration. Um what is it? Talk about that journey from CMO to CEO and how have you, you know, what's different? What's been super additive in having served as a marketing leader to your role as CEO now? And what's been challenging?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that it's it's important to know because I, it, it's really giving respect to the CMOs who've grown up in a more traditional track. My track was varied, You know, my first roles were in sales and operations and there were pieces of marketing to them. Um, Certainly did a lot of BD roles. But, you know, I had to do a finance job. I had to do a strategy job. And that's one of the things that sometimes now when I'm talking to younger people in our org, I say, you know, it's not that I don't admire and and love that they've been much more mission um, centric and how they've approached their career and want to be doing things that are much more entrepreneurial. But one of the benefits of growing up in large companies is, is that they did really round you out. And so, um, and I was known for, even when I was doing very operational roles, I was known as the brand or marketing gal. And now I always jokingly say, you know, that's not saying much in an oil company, you know, because you're in a sea of engineers, right? But I thought about it a lot. I thought about the ultimate consumer the 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 business the B two B client I had in the middle I was always very insights driven so I was practicing being a marketer almost kind of like an armchair marketer in a lot of my business decisions by the time I got to um, the the running all the the brands globally at BP I mean I have to say I first went I was a little intimidated you know because I had these much more traditionally um, trained you know, deep, you know, market researchers, brand managers, people who really had had developed the real disciplines and frameworks. And so I kind of sat in awe of them a little bit and just enjoyed the creative process coupled with the business process. I think the thing I would say often, though, to any CMO that I'm chatting with when when this kind of a topic comes up is I always see myself as a business person first, mm. I just never thought of, oh, I'm a marketer. Stay in that marketing conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, sure. I, I never, because that generalist trait was developed early on, it really didn't matter what job you put me in. I was always going to first start with the question, what is in the best interest of the company or the brand first? Yeah. And then usually the next decision down would be, what's in the best interest of my cohort, of my peer group? Mm. And, and only... You know when we got to the third decision it was, well, what about my P; l, my brand, my team? And I felt it was important to train my team to think that way too because that corporate context is everything and sometimes the best thing that you can do for the benefit of the greater good is actually to not get what you want. And so I just always saw myself as a business person um, and and I prided myself on the fact that I wanted to understand, what was my boss's motivation? My boss's boss. What are their worries and concerns? Not pretending I could do their jobs, but just more to to stand in their shoes and then to do the right job by the company and make decisions that way.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. Um, there's there's one question that I like to ask uh, folks in this in this podcast, which by the way, we are regarding CMOs as business growth drivers necessarily yes, within absolutely. their organization, and I think that's fundamental, right, to what to what we're, what we're doing um, and how we're approaching that, Um, you know, and that, that is just such an important premise uh, going in. Um, And we're going to get into that in a minute around specific decisions that you've made um, that, you know, that have been representative of, of that, right. Of you being a business leader, even as you owned marketing. So, and, you know, we talk about successes all the time, but I think sometimes the best, learnings come from times we as leaders decide either not to do something um, or even make mistakes, you know, and and, and make missteps. Um, I talked to so many CMOs who say, you know, I'm, I'm I'm kind of sick and tired of hearing about all the really great things that people do and the results that come from them because we're all making mistakes. And I would just love to hear some anecdotes and stories and case studies of people who frankly failed or just didn't make a decision when they should have and what they learned from that. And so I would love for you to share with our audience, you know, an example from your point of view, either as a CMO or a CEO, where you've learned so much
1: from that. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably been the, the single biggest, um, career conversation I've had to have with myself the last really 10 years. It's a continuous one. And, um, I, I, I almost was spoiled my first 20 years of working. Um, I put my head down. I delivered my numbers. I think I got along well with my colleagues and cared a lot about the customer. And in a way, I kind of had a bit of a reputation for having a golden touch. And then um, a pretty important kind of um, fork in the road um, occurred. And in some ways, the, the conversation around choices and failure and learnings, it's tethered in both what I, what I chose not to do and the role I did. And so it's, it's, there's a lot kind of packed in it. Um, when I was leaving BP, um, I had a great mentor, Shelley Lazarus, mm-hmm. who is a, still the CEO of Ogilvy. Yeah. And she desperately wanted me to take another CMO role. Mm-hmm. And she really saw me as an out of box candidate. So she was getting me in front of the CEO of, of Estee Lauder and Brown Foreman and all these exciting companies and um, and it it was I was flattered I was so excited by it um, and at the same time my great CEO um, Lord Brown kept calling reminding me that I'm a P and L girl right <laughs> that when you run global business units and brands that and you've been turned into a generalist that it's so that you can run a P and L. Mm. And so the other um, option I had was I had met some venture capitalists, some Silicon Valley guys, some big name guys, and um, at Kleiner Perkins. And they said, you know what? You'd be great running a startup. Mm -hmm. And I sat very conflicted and in limbo for a couple month period between those two paths. And I think that choosing the the startup early stage role was a little naive of me, um, or a lot naive, thinking that startups would be easy. <laughs> you know, how about how hard can it be? I ran a 3000 person team. There's only 10 people there. Yeah. Um, so so naive. Um, I also had to learn the lingo, like completely different speak on Sand Hill Road. I had to learn how to scale something. I had only ever run things that already had scale. Um, and so I ran that first startup for about five years and a lot of time spent going, did I take the wrong we built a beautiful brand, beautiful product. We had a beautiful team, but the hard reality was our timing was off. And and these are the these are the checks that now I'm trying to make more regularly with myself. But I don't want to pretend I'm good at it. Still, um, I fall in love with brands and teams, and I have a hard time giving up. And people can tell you in my personal life, I have a hard time giving up when relationships aren't working too. So I'm a person who, I'm such a good marketer. I can always spin the story around, oh, you know, we're going to get a break. It's just around the corner. Um, You know, don't throw in the towel yet. Um, A lot of, I I can figure this out. Um, Eternal optimist. I mean, eternal optimist. I'm on this path for a reason. Now, what I would say where I am today is I can't live in a world of regret, right? I made those decisions. And frankly, I guess I look at it now and say I needed a dose of reality. The dose of reality is is I hadn't, you know, work was coming a little too easy to me before. And that only through that failure did I have a chance to just own it, Mm -hmm. to be exposed, to feel a little more raw. And then my trick that I've learned with myself over time and i use this trick even when i'm just need to do something to get unstuck to take an action if i publicly declare i'm going to make a decision on this issue if i publicly declare that it was much as i loved my time in my first startup that it i may it was a failure that i didn't make uh, decisions faster that i didn't accept the writing on the wall faster and that i wasted my time people's time our investors' time the more that I say it, the more that I release any of the angst I'm holding, and so it helps me just to verbalize. If I wrote it in a journal, it wouldn't work for me. But the moment I publicly declare it, I start I start working at working through it. I start processing it. Um, and look, I'll never be able to fully know with that first fork in the road, and then the next one in deciding to run Super League, another startup. I did it again. <laughs> Instead of running back to big companies, because I convinced myself, well, now I've got a toolkit, right? Mm. So let's apply this toolkit mm. to an exciting new space. I, I, I've i accepted that there's always going to be wonderful pluses and minuses in those columns about those decisions. Um, but the best thing I can do is just look at them honestly. Mm.
0: I need to ask you, because you mentioned a couple of things, and it's so fascinating to hear you work through that process for yourself, right, as a CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned something You know, there's something about you that inherently remains a CMO, arguably, just the way you think as a marketer, as a marketing leader, as a marketing strategist, um, you know, as the inspirational driver for your company, you know. And um, so you can't – it's interesting to hear you say that as a CEO now because that's something probably inherent in any CEO who's come up for the CMO role. They can't shake that, but nor should they. You know what I mean? That's such a – to me, that's such a – such a force that can be very powerful. Talk about that. Talk specifically about how, as a CEO, um, you harness that. You continue to very powerfully and um, intentionally harness that energy and that core of you that remains a CMO.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one because then you could argue, well, why didn't I take those big CMO roles that you know I was getting courted for? Maybe somewhere deep inside, because I wasn't a classically trained CMO. True, and the PL experience. I probably, yeah. Yeah, that's probably the smoke and mirrors fear. Like I'll get into Brown Foreman, and they'll they'll go, "You're not a real CMO," you know. So I think there was some intimidation um, there as well. I think the pro the challenge on the CEO side is you're not you're supposed to know everything. You're supposed to know best. Every decision is it's supposed to be obvious to you. You're the one at the center of it all, and I don't like that burden. And it's also not how I, I handle stress or make decision, decisions. I collaborate. And, and yet. And, and yet. Yeah. I mean, it's ironic. But there's
0: something in that that you're chasing after, too, I would argue. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. You know, I would say in a weird way, probably a source of pride, whether I took the CMO or CEO role, it really doesn't matter for me because I looked at both jobs as being a business owner mm-hmm. and a business person. I didn't leave anything at the door I love to that. do both those jobs. So I would say the biggest thing that, um, you know, I probably um, have kind of hung on to with both of those roles is I have a real desire to kind of do it differently. Mm-hmm. I want to show, I like to debunk myths. I love to debunk consumer myths. Who's a gamer these days? It's everybody. Girls can be as good as boys at gaming. Gaming can be good for you. I'm doing it right now and I'm applying it to Super League. But you can see a pattern and the pattern is I want to debunk myths about me as well Mm -hmm. and the choices I've made and that I can be a successful CEO or CMO and maybe not have had all the same training mm-hmm. or maybe do it differently, have a different leadership or decision-making style. And and so it's kind of an interesting thing. I, I, it's like I want to get the A. I want to get the good grade. I want to please the professor or the boss mm-hmm. or the board. So I'll do the job. But then right when I'm doing it well, I want to shake it up and kind of show that I got to do it my way, mm. strangely. So I'm probably living between the worlds of following the rules and somehow always having this desire to to kind of put my own little Mark. special, I, my need for my own identity and to put my twist on Unbelievable. it.
0: Unbelievable. Yeah. So fascinating. And I I mean, just the way to hear you talk about it that way.
1: I've never really talked about it that way to anybody. <laughs> so, so seriously, <laughs> like that's the thing. That's why I love it whenever you and I talk because I always walk away and I've just learned something new about myself. And that helps me then get my head around mm-hmm the failures, the successes, and how to kind of make sense of them and keep growing. It shocks me that I'm the age I'm at, and I still feel like I'm loving that the self-awareness journey doesn't end. But also, I really think I thought like 10 years ago, like, I've seen it all at work. I've seen it all. The supply chain problem, the marketing problem, the pricing problem, the this problem. Um, And I do feel right now, if I've, I've got to hand it to the startup decision, if it did anything, It throws you in the fire and it forces you to 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 learn things that, you know, you kind of maybe I was worried a little bit. I was too old to learn.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, Ann, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, where Super League, you mentioned Super League. Tell us a little bit more about Super League and where you are in your journey. Um, and specific to this, you know, podcast being called Marketing Vanguard, what has been a decision that you've made that you feel in some way has changed the trajectory of the company uh, or the industry in which you're participating because we always like to focus in this podcast around like the key decisions the individual choices that you're making um, to power change
1: yeah yeah and in many ways it ties back to the the last question we just talked about the importance of timing and knowing when your timing is right um, when it's off and then what are you going to do about it if it's off because you know again i can't have a repeat of feeling like i didn't make those decisions swift enough um, I was really intrigued by Super League when I jumped in seven you know, years ago. Um, I was intrigued, as I mentioned, about debunking the myth of who the everyday gamer is and the fact that gaming is really the, a new vers- a new social media channel, and it's where brands and advertisers need to be to really connect. I often say, because we focus a lot on young gamers, we reach about 100 million unique players a month inside these open-world games like Roblox and, and, and Minecraft. And I often say it's like the replacement to the Saturday morning cartoon spot on TV, it's product placement on steroids. Mm. And it's its the most powerful way in place for you to be to reach this young, elusive kind of audience. Um, but I say all that because we started really focused on gaming and we thought a lot about competitive gaming. And I think one of the first decisions we made as a company is we said, wait a minute, time out. That's old school gaming. That's like me playing, you know, Galaga and Centipede and focusing on <laughs> Great games, by the way. <laughs> I love them. But it's about, you know, winners and losers and points. And, and what are these kids doing in these open world gaming platforms? They're creating together. They're socializing. It's much more about role playing. And so it helped us realize that we needed to open up the net much wider. We want to talk to all kinds of kids who use these platforms as ways to really um, Mm -hmm. self-expression and and in many ways, they're discovering things about themselves and can try out things about themselves ahead of bringing it into their physical world. It's a confidence builder Mm -hmm. when it's done in the right way. So first decision was, we said, we want to be about the future of where gaming's going, which is much more about this this beautiful emergence of a shared digital and physical identity and creation. The second then decision that we made is is we said, look, we see what's happening here. We've built some ad tech and some analytics and these really powerful creator tools in the creator economy. And so we now have hundreds of these micro game worlds inside games like Roblox and Minecraft in our world. And we have this really, if we just monetize what we have, we can bring great brands like Mattel and Paramount and others into these worlds and give them help them achieve their marketing objectives. But there is a bigger thing happening, and that was really the fact that we're on the cusp of, of the web changing. And I'm not just saying like Web 3.0, and then every CMO goes, "Oh God, do I have to understand blockchain?" It's like, no, you don't. What What's really happening is is our expectations of every screen in our life is growing. Mm. We want them to be more immersive, personalized, customized. It's no different than a 4K TV. You feel like you're on the field, right? Well, you don't need a headset for that. So when I work with brands, I say, look, I'm going to show you this engine we've built, this this beautiful um, capability we have to publish game experiences or worlds for your brands, to augment them with this really innovative in-game ad products we've built, Um, I'm going to show you that world as a marketing solution for you, but the next conversation I want to have with you is actually, let's go to barbie.com or let's go to Nickelodeon.com and let's talk about the fact that those websites feel transactional Mm -hmm. and they're not intimate and immersive. And this backbone that we've built, we're already proving now at Super League that we can apply it to all kinds of virtual world engines all kinds of ways to really start helping brands walk into the next phase, kind of more of the web 2.5 version of, of all their powerful IP and why that matters is that totally changes the trajectory of the company. So while our roots were in gaming, our future really is and really what's happening right now to a more immersive, personalized and intimate and sticky web. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just excited for the company because the vision now is so, you know, I, when people are like, what's your vision? What's your vision? And, you know, I don't know how other marketers feel, but sometimes it feels so gimmicky. Mm-hmm. And the debate of, is that a mission, a vision? And sometimes I kind of would resist that. Mm-hmm. I feel like right now the vision for the company, it feels so authentic and exciting and palpable and doable. And so that's why, that's the gut check I do now to say, is my timing off again with Super League like the last startup? And I say, no, good product market fit right now with what we've built. But there's something that's right around the corner and we're already doing it in many ways. We're already proving that we can build virtual worlds for third-party IP and sandbox decentralized and on top of the Unreal Engine, all kinds of ways. And so I'm excited that we started with, with gaming, but our roots are really in the future, as I said, of the of where we think the internet needs to go and can go right now without you having to live your life uh, with a VR headset.
0: Um, did I ask you about AI and chat GPT and how that impacts what you're doing?
1: Um, I mean, look, there's, you know, some of that stuff makes me nervous. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Um, you know, certainly, I mean, you know, we, we, um, are very thoughtful about how those things integrate into the existing platforms that we're in. And so we've done a little bit of dabbling with it and just more of our content production side of the world. But I mean, sure, as an everyday consumer, um, those things um, definitely give me pause. And that's why, too, I think it's important. What Super League does is I think Super League in a very safe, thoughtful way helps brands move into this space, Mm -hmm. but do it in a way that, um, they don't have to um, take big risk. I think as a CMO, it's one thing to show you can reach new audiences in new, more um, sticky ways. But I think asking your company and your precious brand to move into spaces that um, potentially have those types of risks um, is just a step that Super League's not ready to go to. Are we COPA compliant, Kids Safe certified? You're you know, what's nice is you'll see countless quotes in the press that from CEOs of big brands that say, if you're looking for safe, go with Super oh, League. Great. And I think that's a testament to us. Uh,
0: yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I love, listen, truly you are um, part of the marketing vanguard in the way that your your mind works like a CMO, but you're leading the company as a CEO and doing it your way. I mean, and that that there's something about that juxtaposition that's just so powerful. Um, so congrats to you. The last quick question I want to ask is, who's next? You know, we, we have a pay it forward uh, mentality and focus and priority with Marketing Vanguard and that as much as we want to get in front of the, the people who are driving the industry forward with the decisions they're making, we also want to um, provide ourselves with an opportunity to to look more broadly at the, the people who are coming up in the industry and who are, you know, going to be tomorrow's um, CMOs and CEOs. Is there anyone um, industry leader or, or CMO, um, that you would recommend we interview for Marketing Vanguard?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that for me, I think about a couple of people that I, I know that I'm just so impressed with for the space I'm in, mm-hmm. how boldly they've been willing to take their brands and to start to show that they can dip a toe into, um, in-game experiences mm-hmm. and, and do it in a way that, um, Really is reinventing the brand in the eyes of, of a young consumer base, and so I think of what Kristen Patrick's done with Shimmerville yeah. for, for Claire, amazing. And and you know I think about when I first met like um, Lara Balaz, yeah. I think at yep. an event you invited me to about a year ago. Yep. You know we're yep. laughing, and she's saying, "What is the metaverse?" And and now she's running, you know, hosting Super Bowl concerts inside. So, so I think so- people, I think people who realize that. You know, this hardest thing about a CMO, I think, real often is you get so trapped in, in your objectives and, and the ROI debate. And you're doing it because you want to show, you know, that you're a big business leader. But there's so much about to innovation that is it's incumbent on the, the CMO and about helping the company understand these new channels and ways to engage with with future consumers. And um, and I just like the fact that I think both of them really are in many ways um, the heads of consumer innovation as well.
0: Yeah. And I I applaud you for your courageousness and your um, your humility in telling your own story here and sort of you know sharing your journey but also your perspective on your leadership as well as the changes that need to happen in the industry and and honestly what marketing innovation looks like. Um, so thank you so much. For taking some time to be with me.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Jenny.
0: Thank you for listening to Marketing Vanguard, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Jordan Pretano, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.
1: Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or
0: company?
1: and get 10% off your plan. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.